Well, all right, good morning. Let's uh, get started. Uh, Don and Becky Drew are back, our newlyweds sitting up front, fresh off their honeymoon. Yeah, good to see them. <laughs> if you want to open up to uh, Luke chapter 17. Let's start in verse 11, go through 19 today. Verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. It's an interesting passage. I, this is a special passage to me because I remember this is one of the first sermons I ever gave. I was uh, a senior in college. I got married after my junior year to Marcy, and uh, we went back uh, to Michigan uh, where her dad lives for Thanksgiving, and I was going to college in Indiana. And I remember I was working part-time at this church and preaching, and I remember driving back from, Indi from Michigan to Indiana in the snow preparing this message. And it's a message that's kind of become like a popular Thanksgiving message, right? It's about one who gives thanks. And like when we kind of read it, like the, the brief, like, uh, you know, application is there's one man who's thankful and there's nine who are not. So be like the one, not like the nine, right? That, that, that's like a, when we briefly read it, it's like this is a passage about giving thanks to God. But then as we kind of go deeper and ask some questions about the text, what we find here is there's something actually transformative happening, happening in this, this leper's soul. So there's something that happens to him physically, but there's something much deeper that's going on here. And if we kind of unpack this passage a little bit, uh, we, we start to kind of see what's telling us about Jesus as well. This is found in the Gospel of Luke, and it's found in, uh, it's located in Luke's travel narrative. And so as Luke was telling this story about Jesus, kind of the second half of Luke covers this travel narrative where Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. And here it tells us he's on this road between Samaria and Galilee. So he's coming from the north to the south on his way down to Jerusalem. And throughout this narrative of Luke's travel narrative, as Jesus is on this mission to get to Jerusalem, he has all of these encounters with people. And in each encounter, Luke reveals something more about who Jesus is in the story. And this is one of those travel narrative stories. Something is being revealed to us about who Jesus is. He's traveling between Samaria and Galilee. Samaria and Galilee uh, represent uh, a place of tension. Uh, Samaritan is what it's said of him, that this is a, a man who's a Samaritan. Um, the Jews would, would try to avoid Samaria. Samaria. They wouldn't go near them. Uh, and then it says that he has leprosy. He has leprosy. 
Uh, in the Bible, leprosy can, uh, it can refer to a number of skin diseases. Uh, but in its worst form, in what we, 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 is what we know today as Hansen's disease, uh, this form of leprosy. Don't Google it, trust me. It kind of manifests itself in two forms. And here's kind of the description of this, of this leprosy. It might begin with little nodules that could go on to ulcerate. The ulcers develop into a foul discharge, and the eyebrows fall out, the eyes becoming staring, and the vocal cords become ulcerated, and the voice becomes hoarse, and the breath wheezes. The hands and the feet always ulcerate, and slowly the voice or it's, it, the sufferer becomes a mass of ulcerated growths. The average course of that kind of leprosy is nine years, and it ends with mental decay, a coma, and ultimately death. This is the description, probably, of this lepers that are crying out to Jesus. Leprosy might begin with a loss of all sensation in some part of the body. The nerve trunks are affected, the muscles waste away, the tendons contract until the hands are like claws. There follows ulceration of the hands and the feet. Then comes a progressive loss of fingers and toes until in the end the whole hand or the whole foot may drop off. The duration of that kind of leprosy is anything between 20 or 30 years. It is a kind of terrible progressive death in which a man dies by inches. And we read this story about these lepers who come to Jesus. And oftentimes we, we kind of read over just the dilemma that they're in. Like, how significant this is that they're lepers. How significant it is that they're suffering greatly. This last week uh, was Thanksgiving. We had it at my parents' house. My parents have this dog named Dodger. It's a full-bred golden retriever, and it's 14 years old. They named it Dodger. They're from L.A. I don't know. That's another story. It's a sweet dog. It's lived a great life. But Dodger's getting older, and... Uh, Dodger has a lot of health issues, and one of the things that's kind of emerged on Dodger is he has this bruise on his hip that, as the dog has become older, its skin has broken down, and it's kind of like turned into the, like a boil, basically. Pretty gross sermon, I know. I'm sorry. Uh, but, I, but Thanksgiving, I, I was over at my parents' house, and I noticed that Dodger had this sore on his hip, and my parents would have to put ointment on it. And if you're a dog lover, your heart's going out right now to this dog. And if you're not, you're disgusted. And I'm somewhere in between. Uh, and like, I'm a, I'm a dog person, but, you know, maybe not this much of a dog person. My parents love the dog. And uh, I spent a good portion of Thanksgiving Day trying to avoid it because of this reason. Uh, we, have, uh, the, we had the stencils over uh, for dinner with my family. And, it, and just seeing this thing on the dog, I was like kind of like embarrassed about it, like didn't want the stencils to, like we're dog people, but we're also clean, like this is not normal, like, you know, it like did something, it like affected me, and we had this family photo, we did this family photo on my parents' stairwell, and the dog was in it, and the dog was up front in the photo, and it, we took this photo where like all of the grandkids were gathered, and they actually were all looking at the camera and smiling, we're like, this is a great photo, this is, oh wait, Dodger's in the front, and he's lying on the good hip, which means right in front of the family is this big ulcerated dog. And we're like, oh, how do we Photoshop that? Like, oh, my goodness. And uh, trying to figure out what to do with this, this big boil that was on the dog. And eventually, Marcy just posted it in black and white, so you can't tell. But it's interesting to see something like this on a dog, because there's something primal inside of me as a human that says, I don't want anything to do with that. 
right? I'm avoiding it because it's, it's not right. There's something oozing out of it. Yikes. And that's a dog. We start to understand what these lepers were going through when it has this description of what they're suffering from. We realize that it's not just a physical pain and despair, but there's a social aspect to it as well. In the first century, if you were diagnosed with leprosy, there's a social barrier that's put up between you and others. If you have leprosy, it means you have to live outside of the community. If you have leprosy, it means that others are going to think differently of you. I have a friend that is a dermatologist, and uh, we think of a dermatologist in Scottsdale, you might think, well, that's probably you know, a fun, interesting job. He's a dermatologist at the Phoenix Children's Hospital. Talk about some of the, the people that he sees that are children. There's something about skin diseases or things that happen with children in their skin that does something psychological uh, to the child, to us who encounter it. Because there's different forms of like sickness. There's different forms of things that we get that we suffer from. The thing about this, the thing about leprosy, is that you wear your suffering for all to see. It's something that's external. It's something that creates all sorts of uh, psychological damage as well as physical damage when you have leprosy. There's these primal instincts of us as humans when we see it. We don't know how to react. It's gut-wrenching. Here we have these ten lepers suffering from this skin disease, suffering greatly. In the ancient world, you would be considered almost like walking dead. If you had this disease, you're probably not going to be healed from it. Therefore, you have to live outside of the community. What we find is that these leper colonies would develop. And what's interesting here is that in this story, it tells us that one of the lepers is a Samaritan, which means the other ones probably weren't. It's interesting that they, they draw attention to this one who is a leper. Because in times of suffering, communities form. Some of the traditional social barriers are broken down. We understand the difference between the Samaritans and the Jews. They don't like each other. There was a college football game that took place last night here in Arizona. And uh, with a town that's south of us in Tucson. There's a rivalry there. There's probably not good thoughts about, you know, the two schools. Uh, and we kind of understand, like, not liking a different kind of people, maybe. Like, maybe you're from Tucson, and you don't like Sun Devils, or you're from Tempe or, or Phoenix, and you don't like the Wildcats. The game last night was interesting. Uh, if you're, I, heard, I was talking to a U of A fan, and they said, you know, we were winning in the first half, and then our quarterback got hurt. After our quarterback got hurt, Sun Devils came back and they won the second half, but, you know, so it's more like a tie. It's like, no, that's not how it is. <laughs> that's not how it works. But there's like, we understand some tension, right, between people groups. Well, the Jews and the Samaritans, it was like that times 10. They don't like each other. They don't want to be associated with each other. It's not like a friendly rivalry. There's a difference of ethnicity, religion, politics. They despise each other. 
And yet here are these 10 men, what we find is that these social barriers are broken down. It doesn't matter because they're suffering together. Suffering has a way of uniting. And there's another sermon in there for another day because when we talk about our suffering, we talk about our brokenness as humans. We know that there's something inside of us that's not right. There's something that is messed up. We say that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and in a strange way that puts us all in the same category together. So I need grace as much as you need grace. I need mercy as much as you need mercy. And here in this story, the Samaritan, we find him in community with those he wouldn't be in community with because of his suffering. And here's kind of the scene. This is kind of the color of the painting of this, of this picture, of what it looks like, what's going on. There's this group of 10 men, and they're suffering greatly from leprosy. They're suffering so greatly that they've found community together. But then as you, as you read through this story, you find you have to start asking questions like, well, one of them gave thanks. Why, why, does, why is that important? Right? Is it just because he acknowledged, like, does Jesus need to get credit for this? So what is significant about the thanksgiving that this man gives? What is it that Jesus says, there's something more going on here with this, this leper that returns? Verse 15 says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to them these words, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. We read that and we think this word well is kind of lost in translation. We think, well, it sounds like it's swell, right? Like he came back, he acknowledged God, gives credit to God, and then Jesus says, because of that, your faith has made you well. Well, that word kind of gets lost in translation. It's actually a much stronger word in the original language. It's the Greek word sozo. Sozo. And I think that there's something here. Why, why is this story so important that this man came back and he actually gave thanks? He actually expresses thanks to God. Why is that so important? Does Jesus need to receive it? Why is this story? What is it revealing to us about Jesus, what is it revealing to us about our actions and when we express thanksgiving? And I think there's something that's found here in this word sozo. It doesn't just mean that your faith has made you well. Sozo is also translated as saved, delivered, preserved. The King James Version says whole. Your faith has made you whole. There's something going on here within the soul of this person. There's something eternal going on as this man comes back and expresses thanksgiving to God. Because I don't think it's that the other ones weren't thankful, right? I mean, it says that they're healed. I'm sure they're thankful. But there's something that about this man who comes back and he falls at the feet of Jesus and he expresses thanksgiving. Jesus says, your faith has made you sozo, has made you whole. I would suggest that all ten of these men are healed, but only one is made whole. All ten of them are healed, but only one of them is made whole. One of them experiences the salvation. There's something inside of his soul that is healed, 
as well. I think there's something here that there's something deep, hidden deep inside the act of thanksgiving. God's placed a treasure here in thanksgiving. Why do we give thanks? Why do we acknowledge things that we're thankful for? Why do we express these things to God? I think thanksgiving does something for us. Finishing off seminary right now, and I'm in this class called The Practice of Community. This is interesting, like, like practicing community. What does that mean? The class talks about kind of like these Christian communities that live life together and flourish together. And it talks about kind of four pillars that are the foundation for any Christian community. The first pillar is hospitality. Hospitality. Like, makes sense. Second pillar is truth-telling. Truth-telling. Third pillar is promise keeping, keeping promises to each other. The fourth pillar is gratitude. Gratitude. When we think about these pillars of, of Christian community, these are what makes communities flourish. The first three require sacrifice. First three require work. Hospitality can be uncomfortable. It can mess up your routine. Requires you to take initiative. Truth-telling can be hard. To tell the truth in love, to speak into each other's life, that's, that can be challenging. Promise-keeping, something that makes community flourish, to, to make promises and to stick with them, can be challenging, requires follow-through. But gratitude, that sounds fairly easy, right? Like just listing out things that we're thankful for. Why would that be one of the pillars that makes communities flourish because I think that the opposite of gratitude is something that's actually very dangerous for communities the opposite of gratitude is something that's actually dangerous for families it's dangerous for relationships it's dangerous for marriages it's ingratitude it's entitlement it's complaint it's grumbling we see this in the story of God in the Old Testament. God's people, the Hebrews, are slaves in Egypt. They're slaves for 400 years. Their life is absolutely miserable. They're crying out to God to deliver them. They're crying out to God to save them, to make their circumstances better. We know the story where Moses comes, a bunch of plagues come. God miraculously delivers his people. They go through the Red Sea. The Egyptians, the people who have enslaved them, are washed away. They have this brand new start, this brand new life. As they're trying to head out towards the promised land, they're stuck in the wilderness. What happens? They become grumblers, complainers. There's ingratitude that moves into their community. They start to uh, kind of misremember what it was like to be in Egypt. In fact, they want to go back to Egypt because they look back and they think that's actually better than where they're from. It does something, it kind of like poisons the whole community. They're no longer grateful that God has delivered them. They're no longer grateful for what their future is. They can't get past their present moment to see the blessings that God has given them. It causes all sorts of problems with God's people. The opposite of, of gratitude is something that is dangerous within communities. Christine Pohl writes about this idea of gratitude and grumbling, the danger of it in community. She says this, 
Grumbling, the opposite of gratitude. Grumbling is highly contagious within communities. And occasionally, complaining and dissatisfaction can become a way of life. Complaint is often overgeneralized, and soon everything seems unsatisfactory. While gratitude makes us more sensitive to the gifts that other people bring into our lives, discontent blinds us to what we've been given. So when we come to things like Thanksgiving and we talk about things that we're thankful for, this isn't just something that's cliche. It's not just something that we list out or makes us feel warm. There's actually something going on inside of us. We're either gracious people or we're grumblers. There's something that affects the way that we interact with God in this world and the people around us. Christine Pohl goes on to say, gratitude begins with paying attention with noticing the goodness and beauty and grace around us. And the practice of gratitude becomes more central to our communities when we stop feeding the cycles of complaint and we orient our lives around praise and testimony and thanks. Our communities flourish when we regularly tell stories of God's faithfulness and goodness and when we find opportunities to express gratitude and celebrate the gifts we have received. Because of God's grace and work in bringing us together in Christ and in building our congregations, we were able to participate in congregational life, not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. We start to understand what gratitude does. Gratitude does something inside of our soul. It makes us whole. In this story, one man returns to give thanks to God. He's not the only one thankful. I'm sure the other nine are thankful that they've been cleansed. But he comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus and he expresses the thankfulness. He expresses the gratitude. Something inside of him is transforming. He becomes gracious, a gracious person. It says that he throws himself at the feet of of Jesus, and he thanked him. He thanked him. Jesus sees that expression. He says, your faith has made you whole. Something inside of the act of gratitude is a treasure for us. It's transformative for our soul. The word that's used there for thanked is also important. We have sozo, which means whole salvation preserved. But this word thanked, that he falls at Jesus' feet and thanked him, is a Greek word, eucharisteo, eucharisteo. It's a compound. It comes from a couple words. One is the word you, E-W-E-U, which is good. And charis, which is gift or grace. So he's literally thanking Jesus for a good gift. Eucharisteo. Eucharisteo is also where we get the word Eucharist. The celebration of the Lord's Supper, the elements, communion. We call it the Eucharist. It's this thanksgiving of the work, giving thanks to God, the work that he's done in our life. And it's not something that we do because we have to. We're either gracious people or we're not. Being thankful, being grateful, Expressing that as transformative. 
the Apostle Paul picks up on this language. He says, For I have received from the Lord that which I have also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, the same word, he broke it and said, Take it and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as uh, you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's something that we're told to do. You might call it a sacrament. You might call it a tradition. But it grounds us in being thankful as people. It grounds us in this idea of acknowledging what God has done in our life. We call it communion. Communion is something that we do each week here at Desert City for this reason. It's this acknowledgement of what God has done. It's a remembrance of his work in our life. And it's this remembrance that, much like the lepers, there's something inside of all of us that's being healed and restored and redeemed. We take communion because thankfulness is transformative. My wife and I like to watch, uh, binge watch shows on Netflix. And this week, having some time off, we're hoping to jump into a new show. And we had reached the end of Netflix. You ever get to that point? It's like, we've watched everything. Ah. We found this show on PBS uh, called Poldark. Is that right? Poldark. And it's this story about this man who fought for the British in the Revolutionary War. He's the enemy, right? And goes back to England, lives in Cornwall, gets back from this war and finds out that the woman that he loves has married another man. His father has passed away. His inheritance has been basically destroyed, given away. He's supposed to inherit this old copper mine. The copper mine's been put out of business. He's trying to pick up the pieces of life after everything has fallen apart, like went and served for his country, went overseas, did everything he was supposed to do, and comes back to a life that's in shambles. And we've been watching through the first season to see how he kind of like starts to put his life back together, living in the midst of a broken economy, living in these really kind of poor circumstances, ends up meeting someone else, falling in love. The person that he falls in love with, I might ruin it, but I doubt you watch PBS shows. Maybe you do. Uh, she's a servant. She's a kitchen servant. She's not even in like the same class in society that he is. So to marry her for him is a social taboo. Falls in love. We're kind of watching towards the end of the first season. And, he, and you're seeing this journey of this person who's kind of lost everything. Everything's broken down around them. And they're trying to figure out how to live life in the midst of terrible circumstances. It gets to the end of the season they're standing on these cliffs in beautiful Cornwall looking at the sea, talking about everything that they've gone through. And he says this line where he says, the uncertainty of our life has caused the moments of our life to be precious. And the poverty of our life has caused us to appreciate true riches. 
I remember like thinking that like, wow, way to go, PBS. Like way to capture that. <laughs> this is a person who, in the midst of whatever they're going through, there's this thankful heart. And I was thinking, us as followers of Jesus, this God who is eternal, who looks at our physical ailments and heals them and redeems them and looks at the things that corrupt our soul and heals them and redeems them, places something inside of this act of thanksgiving that is a treasure that's transformative for our soul, that brings about sozo. We're able to journey through this life differently because we know that our life is eternal. And we've gone through this series talking about a change of heart. But today, uh, we're going to end our time giving thanks with communion, with the Eucharist. Tim's going to come back up, and I want to spend some time reflecting. This is a, a season of thanksgiving. This is a season of gratitude. But to actually come to the feet of Jesus and express our thanksgiving. A couple questions to close with. Maybe today, maybe today you're, you feel like you are in a place where your soul is just broken. There's things that are corrupting you. They may not be visible on the outward skin like leprosy, but it's eating you alive on the inside out. Maybe today you just need to come to the feet of Jesus and cry for mercy, pity, compassion. Let Jesus meet you where you're at. Let Jesus bring about restoration and healing. Maybe today you're a place in your journey where you have received that. And you feel healed, yet you, the sozo is missing. And you know that you're living lives of ingratitude. And you don't like what that does to you. Maybe today you need to come to the table and to just express thanks to God. Give thanks for what he's done. Give thanks for who he is. Today we approach the table with those reflections. But then there's also another action. Not only do we give thanks to God, but we express, express thanks to others. Because thanksgiving is something that allows our community to flourish. Maybe there's people in your life you need to express thanks to today. As we spend time reflecting and as you go to God, maybe you need to write those down. Here's people that I need to thank. Tim's going to close us with a song. Let me pray. And when you're ready to move to communion, to participate in the Eucharist, feel free to do so. As the scripture says, we take bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken open for us. We take juice, a cup of juice, which represents the blood of Christ that was shed. Through the breaking of the body and the pouring out of the blood, we experience healing, salvation. All the broken things about us are put back together. The ways that we miss the mark, the ways that we sin, the things that corrupt our soul. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we find life eternal. Let us give thanks for that. Let us consider who that we also must express that to. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for life that is truly life. Lord, for the story of these lepers who are experiencing despair. 
their lives are broken. They cry out to you. And you heal them. What a great story of your heart, your love for us. Lord, you reveal something to us about this Samaritan who returns to you. Who expresses gratitude. You say his faith has made him whole. Today, Lord, as your people, we want to stop. We want to slow down. We come to your feet today. We say thank you. Lord, we ask that you would meet us here. That your presence would transform our soul. That we would experience your goodness. We love you, Lord. Amen.